Open God's Word and we'll read first from uh, Daniel chapter 10 verse 1 and further on to chapter 11, 12. So Daniel chapter 10 verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belshazzar and the word was true and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. We go to chapter 11, verse 35. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white, until the time of the end. For it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all, he shall honour the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honour with gold and silver and precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him he shall load with honour. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the end time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall come into countries, and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. 
and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of those wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes this desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. May God bless the reading of his word. If I have to preach all of that, you would be here for three hours plus. So I will not do that, Lord willing. Our text will be Daniel 11, 35 and 12, 10, where we read, And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white, until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And the theme then tonight, the refiner's fire. Tim Keller observed some years ago, we're entering a new era in which there is not only no social benefit of being Christian, but an actual social cost. Culture is becoming increasingly hostile. Culture is producing people for whom Christianity is offensive. Alistair Beck agrees in saying 
the prevailing wind is no longer at the back of the sails of professing Bible-believing Christians. Indeed, the wind appears to be blowing hard behind the forces of secularism. And then in his book, Brave by Faith, he says about the message of the last vision, vision in Daniel chapter 10 to 12, the point of these chapters is my clear that God is on the throne. It's to make clear that God is still on the throne. And the future is securely, still securely, we could add, in his hands. And in the flow of human history, says another scholar, God is still at work. And from these passages we've read, we could uh, say, for the righteous, he is the refiner's fire. And to the wicked, he is the consuming fire. So the comforting and encouraging good news is that as we find ourselves in a secular society all the more focused on oppressing and persecuting the people of God in various ways, God is still in full control and sovereignly busy using our segment of human history as a refiner's fire for burning away the dross and purifying which is precious as it is foretold in Daniel's last vision. The first year of King Cyrus' Persian rule, in that year, the first party of Jewish exiles had returned to Jerusalem. But they have found a life there far from plain sailing. They rebuilt the altar and foundations of the temple, but almost immediately ran into powerful opposition from their neighbors on all sides. This opposition, on top of the difficulties of scratching out some basic living conditions in a destroyed city, this opposition, with their circumstances, forced the returned exiles to cease the work on the temple a pause that would continue for many years. So the third year of Cyrus's reign, 
was therefore already a time of discouragement for God's people, both in Jerusalem and in Babylon. The euphoria that surrounded the initial return was fading and the challenges of maintaining faithfulness over the long haul in the midst of great opposition would have been center stage on Daniel's deeply concerned mind. And so he began that year in an extended period of prayer, mourning, and fasting. You will agree, many of us, says Ian Duyugut, can think back on an earlier period of our Christian life in which obedience to God seemed somehow easier and more exciting. But now we are in a period faced with many challenges and difficulties and with a secular minded cultures, offense and persecutive aggressiveness in which the joy of our earlier faith life seems a long time ago. What word does God have for us that will help us maintain our faithfulness over the long haul into a seemingly fast darkening future. Today is April 23, 2023. It was April 23, 536 before Christ when a mysterious messenger appeared to Daniel and revealed to him some bad news and some good, encouraging news in regards the spiritual and geopolitical battles God's people will face on earth until the end. Although the time of exile was over, the Jews and the Jews had returned to the promised land, the troubled days for Israel were not over. Yes, Jerusalem and its temple would be rebuilt, but Judah would be trapped between two empires bent on waging war upon each other. The Seleucids to the north in Syria and the Ptolemies to the south in Egypt. And that's what we read about in chapter 11. And as the vision comes to an end, Daniel is given a curtain razor into the distant future, a time 
when the actual Antichrist will arrive on the scene. The mysterious messenger revealed to Daniel that an invisible cosmic war is taking place behind the scene of human history. A great spiritual war in the heavenly realms. As Abraham Kuyper puts it, if once the curtain were put or pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came in view, it would expose to our spiritual view a struggle so intense that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Not here, in Ukraine or wherever. Not here on earth, but up there. That is where the real conflict is waged. Clearly indicated by the angels, Gabriel and Michael being resisted by the princes, it says, of Persia and Greece. So Daniel was learning that the ultimate power struggle is fought out in the heavenly realms. We do not see it, but the biblical prophets like here in Daniel chapter 10 to 12, and the apostles, like Paul in Ephesians 6, made it plain that parallel to this physical world or war on earth between humans, this world, there is a spiritual world where God's battles are being waged against evil. This is a reality that the secular culture and liberal theologians with their adherents choose to ignore or deny. But Paul was absolutely serious when he said that we wrestle against, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And also Peter in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, telling us that Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There is indeed a spiritual war raging. And Satan's enmity against God and his people and kingdom purposes is surely manifested through secular, evil-driven rulers and powers in secular life and society. And that's why God's people in every age suffers persecution 
in many ways. And Daniel's prophecy indicates that this will get even worse as we get closer to the time of the end. The time just before Christ's second coming and the day of judgment and during the reign of the Antichrist. But the purpose of this last prophecy in Daniel is to comfort and encourage God's people in all ages that ultimately Satan's most vicious onslaughts can never overthrow God's purposes or eternally harm God's people. Brian Chapel, it is, who illustrates by telling about a murder on the campus of a theological seminary and a professor then explaining to the students because of our seminary's growth so rapidly and we've been blessed with more influence in the culture Satan was trying to stop us, to stop us. But Satan's reach exceeds his grasp. Because, because God's purposes will prevail. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Throughout scripture, brothers and sisters, we see God's purposes with trial and tribulation to be this. For the righteous, God's people, he uses it like a refiner's fire. Just read Zechariah 39 where it says, And I will bring them through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. And 1 Peter 1.7 where it says that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire. God uses trial and tribulation in our lives. And for the wicked, he uses trial and tribulation like a consuming fire. And this is clearly seen in Daniel's last vision to our comfort and encouragement. Daniel's, Daniel's last vision describes wave upon wave of the onslaught of wicked kingdoms in the evil demonic or demonic purpose of destroying God's people on earth. The kingdom of darkness just never yield to God's purposes and is therefore doomed to destruction 
in the consuming fire of sovereign judgment. This outcome is clearly indicated by the number of times the word but is used in chapter 11 as you've got it there. Like in verse 4 in regards Alexander the Great's kingdom which will be divided toward the four winds of heaven but not to his posterity for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others. Verse 31 to 35 in regards Antiochus uh, for Epiphanes forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and shall take away the regular burnt offering and that shall set up and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm. And the wise, though for some time, shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder, so that they, so that they purpose, may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. You can see that the word but clearly distinguishes the wicked that will be consumed by the fire of God's wrath from the righteous children of God who will not escape trial and tribulation but will be refined in their faith by it. And I think the but shows that to us. If you miss the author's technique of using catchwords, you will not understand the last part of Daniel 11, referring to the king. Like commentators do when, when they take these verses as still referring to Antiochus' epiphany. Or like Calvin who sees it as a reverence to the Roman Empire. Commentators differ big time on these verses and its meaning. And yes, there is, this is one of the most difficult passages in Scripture to understand. But the catchwords are helping a lot. Chapter 11, verse 2, mentions three Persian kings. And then a fourth, who interacts with the kingdom of Greece. Greece is the catchword. So mention of all subsequent Persian kings are skipped. 
and the author immediately jumps to a Greek king in verse 3, who is Alexander the Great. Verse 4 mentions the split of his kingdom between four kings. King is the next catchword. And once again, further detail on the split of the two, king, two kings of East and West and, 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 and mentioning of the kings of East and West are skipped so that in verses 5 to 35, the focus could be on the struggles between the king of the south, the Seleucids of Egypt, and the kings of the north, the Ptolemies of Syria. And this section continues down to one particular evil king in the north, Antiochus for Epiphanes, a forerunner and type of the Antichrist during whose reign God's people will suffer the fires of persecution. But those who have insight will be purified for the time of the end, it says. The time of the end is the next catch phrase. So all other Seleucid and Ptolemaic kings, as well as the Roman and Byzantine and Ottoman and Russian and British and all follow-up empire claimants and Antichrist forerunners are skipped so that in chapter 11, verse 36 to 12, verse 3, the author, the author could jump straight to the time of the end the time which is where the rule of the Antichrist is mentioned, who will reign and will persecute God's people in a way more severe than ever before. Can you see the catchword technique helps us see the intentional gaps as the prophecy moves from age to age and empire to, to empire and then indicates the king of 1136 as none other than the Antichrist. But before we jump into the vision's description of the Antichrist, we need to remind ourselves of the redemptive history which eventuated during the last gap within this pro prophecy and what we had this morning. During this period, God ushered in the 70th, the 70th year week of the Daniel 9 messianic prophecy. The messianic ruler made his first coming appearance on earth. And during this period, six redemptive things happened. 
transgression was finished. Sins were brought to an end. Reconciliation was made for iniquity. Everlasting righteousness was established. Vision and prophecy were sealed. And the most holy was anointed. The cross and resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened in between. And therefore, all God's redemptive purposes will be achieved throughout the pursuing church age until the time of the end of the age when that will dawn. So no matter how severe the efforts of God's already slain satanic enemy to destroy God's people through persecution in every age, God's will will happen. As a matter of fact, persecution will only serve as the refiner's fire. God will use to refine his people like gold and to consume the wicked in holy wrath. These redemptive facts are to comfort and encourage God's people as good news, even though there is the bad news of great tribulation awaiting God's people at the time of the end, the time of the appearance and rule of the Antichrist, as described in verses 36 to 41, where we read, And the king, who's the king, the Antichrist, or man of lawlessness, shall do as he wills, He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing or blasphemous things against the God of gods, who is our God. And he will lack and despise any sense of loyalty even to his parental religion. He shall pay no attention to the God of his fathers, it says, which might, we're not sure, but which might indicate that he will be Jewish in origin. Or he will not pay attention, no attention to the one beloved by woman. Many interpretations of that. But beloved by woman might be an, a reference to Jesus as Messiah, whom every devoted or devoted Jewish woman hoped in those days to bear into life. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead, a foreign God, guy with the name Kiel or Kyle explains that the Antichrist will regard no other God but war, and he will worship this God above all 
as the means of gaining power and rule over the whole world. And those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. And he shall come into the glorious land. And tens of thousands shall fall. For the people of God, the church, the time of the end will therefore be a time of horrific suffering in the fire and flame of persecution. But note the words but and yet in this passage. It says, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Verse 41. And verse 45, yet he shall come to his end with no one to help him. Indicating to us, brothers and sisters, God's sovereign purpose with persecution. For the righteous, he is the refiner's fire. And for the wicked, he is the consumer fire, consuming fire. Note, says a theologian that I've read, the great promises in Daniel chapter 12, purposed by God to comfort and encourage us and to help us persevere in our faith amidst a secular society's offensiveness and persecution. God promised to be with his people. They would not be alone in their affliction. Michael the archangel will stand for them, verse 1. God will fight for his people and give them everything they need to persevere in this affliction. The ultimate fulfillment of God with us, of course, is Emmanuel himself. Jesus became flesh and experienced the trials we experience so that he could promise to be with us in our trials. He said in John 16, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He walked this life of trial to the bitter end of death so as to empower uh, our perseverance in trial and tribulation. God promised to transform his people. Many shall be refined, verse 10. He will work in them to ensure that their affliction worked out for their transforming and sanctifying good. Affliction will refine us, not destroy us. We can therefore persevere in our time of affliction, trusting that God will work out his plan in and with us. Similarly, 
we are promised in Romans 8 that every affliction we face works to the end of our Christ-likeness. God promises resurrection and judgment at the end of this horrific time. We read, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never had been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people, God's people, shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be written in the book. And many, or as the NIV has it, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to eternal life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Yes, all Christians have this promise. God will keep us and present us perfect before him on that final day. This promise should comfort us, encourage us, and empower us to persevere, notwithstanding the persecution we experience in a secular culture driven by evil forces. Let us leave Daniel 12, 6 question of how long before the end of time spent in the refiner's fire for consideration on another day. Let me close with a quote. Nailing the truth and application proclaimed in this most difficult passage of Scripture. Those who are made wise by God's Word and Spirit understand that affliction is an opportunity for growth. As wheat is separated from the chaff, chaff, the wise are refined through affliction. As clothes are whitened by the launderer, the wise are cleansed through affliction. As precious metal like gold is separated from dross in the fire, the wise are purified through affliction. The wicked, on the other hand, respond totally different. The wicked do not understand God's design in affliction and it simply hardens their heart in their way as a, their sinful way as a sign of God's wrath in judgment. But then God does not state the folly of the wicked to give the wise cause to rejoice over the downfall of the wicked. His purpose is to warn the wise from following the wicked in their folly. And therefore, brothers and sisters, we should instead share the gospel and shine 
like a light in the dark of this world, always keeping in mind the words of Daniel 12.3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, here and now, and one day in the brightness of glory, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever in the glorious radiating or radiation from the presence of our glorious God. <coughs> Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us always to focus on the purposes you have with us in the refiner's fire of trials and tribulations we experience and will experience in this life and in our culture in times to come. Experiences that wait, await us and is already there in a culture set on being oppositional to all that is Christian and God-honoring and are demonically persuaded to persecute the church of God in so many ways. You are the potter, we the clay in your hand. Form us, make us, cleanse us, and strengthen us in the fires of tribulation as you have purposed. Help us to keep on sharing good news and shining the light of life in Christ, no matter what our circumstances, Father God. Fill us with your word and spirit and dress us in Christ with the armor we need for the combat against evil temptation and demonic onslaught and persecution. Thank you for Christ's victory on the cross and resurrection power at work in us to keep us standing firm. Hear us pray in the very words of I. Calvin. Grant, Almighty God, since you propose to us no other end than that of constant warfare during our own life and subject us to many cares until we arrive at the goal of this temporary race course. Grant, we pray, that we may never grow fatigued. May we ever be armed and equipped for battle. And whatever the trials by which you prove us, May we never be found deficient. May we always aspire toward heaven with upright souls and strive with all our endeavors to attain that blessed rest which is laid up for us in heaven in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs>